in these crazy times, I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. I have no idea what's going on in the world right now. The only thing I am sure of is that Laura Lee Smith can help you find the home that you've been looking for. She's a real estate agent in the Bryan College Station, Texas and surrounding areas. And if you're in market to buy a home or you want to sell your home, but you don't exactly know what to do in the market right now, call or text her at any time and she will definitely get you started on the right track. We chose her to find our first home and she did not disappoint. So her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. Also, make sure you go out and support all of those local businesses and brands that you believe in. Now is more important than ever that we band together so we can lift each other up over this tiny speed bump that is the beginning of 2020. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be good, folks. Trust me, if we come together as a team, we're going to win. All right, this episode of the podcast is with a fascinating individual that I have had the pleasure of meeting and having on the podcast twice. His name's Chacho Taylor. Wow, he since the last podcast, he has started a his own podcast called My Dyslexic Life. And he tells stories of his childhood and, and what is going on. And you just won't believe that they're true stories. It's insane. But he brings these really cool stories to life and you'll see the characters in your mind. So I highly suggest you go back and listen to our first episode as well as go over, subscribe and listen to his podcast on any of your listening platform. But I will stop babbling and I'll let him tell you the story of his podcast and what goes on with this episode with my friend, Chacho Taylor. There we go. Awesome. Round two, man. Dude, your podcast is awesome. I'm so glad you started one. Like after you got done on this one the first time, I was like, what kind of crazy life has this guy like lived? It seems like it seems like a movie. Right. Yeah, no. Um, after the podcast with you, I, I kind of thought about it and I said, you know, I'd really like to do something, but I wanted to try to do something a little different. And my grandfather has always been a really strong storyteller to the point where he can like just grab an audience and and have control of that moment and, and, and go through and they just they just love it. You can see it. You can feel it. And so I grew up around that and, uh, and I thought, you know, what I'd like to do is kind of start to tell these stories, but in a way that people can see them and almost feel them and touch them. And, and, uh, and so I've really been doing my best to do that. And, and it's been a blast. It's been really, really, really a great time. Did you find it like therapeutic to relive those memories and say them out in the thing and put them out there in the world? I, you know, I, I don't have a ton of issues. Whatever issues that I had based on my childhood, I believe I've worked through. Um, I'm, I'm really like not one to dwell on things or, or uh, hold them in responsibility for anything that's happening now or, or anything like that. So like, to me, they're just things that I appreciate because even if they were hard then, I can look back now and be like, wow, I really got through that. And uh, so I wouldn't say that it's therapeutic, but it really does create a lot of appreciation for my life in general. And, and that's always a good feeling, right? To appreciate where you've been and where you are. Do you think like 
people that listen to it, you're helping them out. And that makes like, that makes a difference too. Like maybe somebody has something similar. Cause you, man, and we'll get into it in a second, but like you've done so so many different things has happened to you. You've seen almost every side of life that you can see. Right. Right. Um, I'll go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just going to say, do you feel like that? Like some of your stories, like do you get feedback where people like you're helping people out and that sort of stuff or you feel like that that is catching on yeah you know i have actually hardly i was in phoenix we were out there before quarantine started we were out there racing a national a bmx national and uh we were staying with him and his family and he's got a buddy named jeff that has now become a friend of mine also and uh we went out to a pump track and on our on our way Jeff started talking about the stories in the podcast and then he started talking about his dad and he's like, I sent these to my dad because I just really felt like he would relate to this. And so it's really interesting, but it has, I don't know if it's helped, but I can feel like it's, I feel like it's touched a lot of people. Um, it's created some relating factors and, and, you know, some different things. Uh, I, I really did start this to be helpful because I started it our first week of quarantine and uh, as I was like three or four days in the quarantine and already kind of going crazy based on this entirely new lifestyle, um, I thought to myself, well, if I'm going crazy, other people might be like, maybe I can create something that'll break up the monotony. And so at that point I realized like now's the time. And so we had talked, I shot you a message. I said, what is that app again? You sent me the app. I downloaded it and I told the first story. And then it was a little scary because it was like, is this stupid? Like, you know, like, so I sent it out. And then my son the next day, who's always very honest with me whenever I do something that's stupid uh, or not cool. He was like, dad, I listened to the entire thing, like beginning to end. It was amazing. And he's like, and you know my attention span. Like listening to it, that whole thing like that, it, it was awesome. You have to keep doing them. So I just said, I was like, cool, I committed. I'm like, I'm going to record one every Wednesday. And we've done 11 episodes, which kind of freaks me out because that means that we've been in quarantine for 11 weeks. <laughs> and I just got it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of an, an interesting thing, right? Like just kind of looking at it looking at that in retrospect, but you know, it's not like this is blown up. I have a feeling that one day this will do really, really well. It just needs time to grow. But everyone who has taken the time to listen to it and, and allow it to be a part of their life. Like I get messages and they they've truly enjoyed it and they, and they appreciate it and they thank me and they're like excited for the next one. So that's something that has been really rewarding. Yeah, well, I can I can speak to that. Like, the, I listen to it a lot of times in the morning. I'll be making breakfast and I'll listen to your latest episode right there, or in the truck, like on the way to work. And I feel like all the characters are playing out in my head. Like I, I've got <laughs> my little, you know, it's basically just you shrunken down into. You still have a beard too, but you're like a kid, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then follow, you, but I follow you through this whole thing and. Uh, it's just like, man, what a cool spot. Like, I guess what makes it so inspiring is the fact that you're at a place where you're at now, 
but this is where right. you were. And this is how, like, this is the story of how you made it from this to this and all of the adventures and like the whole process, like everything in detail. You are a fantastic storyteller. It brings it to, to, to light. Thank you. So did you start these and go in any sort of an order? Did you have an idea about it? What, what was like your game plan for it? Pretty quickly realized that a total like true to linear uh, story was going to be nearly impossible because there's so many characters and so many parts and things that were happening in parallel. Right. So like I might've been touring through Mexico on music and that's a great story to tell and it was fun and it was awesome and uh but like literally at the same time um my mom was locked up my dad was like running from the cops and my grandfather was like running uh you know something in government or so my grandmother was opening her next restaurant so like you can't tell all those stories at the same time so what I would do is say, okay, I'm going to tell this story like it's all that was happening right then. And I'll introduce little things, but then I can come back and tell the parallel times. And that's why, like, there's going to be so many stories because if I can break it up in my head and be like, all of this is happening now, but I can tell this story, this story, this story. And then at the end of a few episodes, bring that together so that they meet and people will realize, wow, that was like a two-year point in his life, or that was one year, or that was six years, whatever it was, then they can get the full idea. Um, so I do go from birth to about sixth grade in this first season. Um, but um, like retelling portions of my life just from a different angle. That's yeah. the explanation. Well, it's just like, I mean, you can really write a book with it. You could make a movie with it. It's like so many different things in there. But you started with the 1977, one of my favorite memories. Right. And um, so, and it was actually, one of my, I think it's first memories, but uh, I had two first memories. I can't remember which one is first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have both of them. The 1977 is the first one. And then my yeah. first memory is the second one. Yeah, so there's two 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 stories in a row, but they're both of my first my first memory and my other first memory because I don't know. And the thing is, there's no one to ask at this point in my life, so I have to uh, just kind of be like, all right, well, those, those are my first memories, right? But that story's true, like that story with with my mom and dad, everything from driving down the road, all of those things. And I was really young, but you could imagine like that time was talked about many times throughout my life. And so it stayed fresh in my head and, and I can see it like it's yesterday, just because like my parents would have a party at the house and they'd be getting high and getting drunk and talking to their friends about the time that my dad beat up Joe Coca cause he tried to steal me and my mom and pay my dad 10 grand to bounce. And then was disrespectful. And I remember even like later in life, like after my dad passed, other people like friends of my mom's, like it was another guy that told me the story that Joe Coca had then healed and gotten better and decided that he was going to get his revenge. And he got a, a gun and he hired what they call, call tecatos, right? Which are, which are uh, heroin addicts. 
uh, he hired two guys and uh, had them come over and they're supposed to pick up the gun and go kill my dad. And so when they got there, they got the gun and then they said, cool, we want our drugs because that was what the payment was going to be. And he said, no, uh, I'll pay you once the job's done. And instead they shot him and killed him and they took the drugs. And so then they spread the word that they had done that. And that's how my dad found out that these guys like, and he didn't do anything. He didn't retaliate, but, uh, I guess he figured there's no harm done, but yeah, like that, that story is real. That really happened. Well, I mean, all of, I know like all of them are, are real. Like the, the stories you say, I mean, at least you want to hope they're real, right? Yeah. Like no one's going to think that's real. Like no way, but it is. And, uh, I mean, and my dad was just like, like he was, he was kind of a thug, kind of a gangster. Like he was tough and he could be very mean and he could like, and he was like on the hustle part of life. Like they never had a lot of money. Whatever money they did have, they blew it. Um, like the car was always breaking. You know, the house was never nice. Um, you know, they're turning on the, the gas stoves and, and get, trying to get those, those burners up to warm up the house. Like, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so it was always a hustle. It was always trying to figure it out, you know. And, you know, sometimes they'd cross or he'd cross their own people. Like, I never told this story, but there was a time when I was young and uh, there was like six truckloads of guys that had showed up to my dad's, to our house. And, uh, and they were going to kill my dad. They said that, that like, they're there to kill him. And they had, they had guns. They had, I mean, they were there. And he's in the house and my mom's like, don't go outside. And he was like, I got you. Like, I'm either going out or they're coming in and they're not going to come in. So by himself, he walked right out that door and walked right up to the truck and like just started talking to the guys. And the guys told him like why they were there. And what it was is that there was a guy that had passed out in his car. And my uncle Teddy had a machine gun and didn't like this guy. He owed him money or something. And so my uncle Teddy shot up the guy's car with the machine gun but he didn't know that somebody was in it. <laughs> so he thought he was picking up the guy's car, but the dude was sleeping in it. Now the crazy thing is the guy never got shot. Just his car got shot up. So then he heard that it was Freddie Taylor, my dad, that had done it. And he went and got his cousins and friends and everybody else. And they came to kill my dad. But my dad wouldn't tell him it wasn't me. It was my brother because he wasn't that kind of guy either. So he literally talked these guys down and was able to talk himself out of the situation. And that's like, he was just that kind of guy, like run when you need to run. If you're cornered, you fight. And if you know that it's going to be fair, you fight. And if, and if you can figure out a way to get something out of it, then do it. Like that was him. Um, so it was, it was kind of crazy. So which one of these right. episodes which one of these episodes is your favorite one? Do you have a favorite one? Are they all kind of meaningful to you? Like which one stands out to you that you would say, like, man, if you're gonna start, go listen to this one? Right. I really love the visual adventure of the first story. Like because I can when I tell that story, I can literally see it. And it's it's so it's just scary, it's mysterious, it's like I said, like you can barely believe that's real. 
And then um, the second story is awesome, and it's a great story. But, like, that story is a little hard to swallow just because I remember seeing my uncle trying to recover from being burnt so bad and my grandmother what she was dealing with and us ending up living in like a crap hotel and the insurance taking so long to come in to like rebuild the house and my grandmother just like hustling and trying to make things happen and like I was so young there was no way there was anything I could do but like that energy is real there and, and I could feel that um so that's a hard one um I really, really love the the opening for Julio Iglesias story, like the feeling I get when I talk about being on the stage and the way that that spotlight kind of left me. And I really had no idea that Kingly Coliseum was packed like that. And so when it happened and I saw that, I, it was just absolutely an amazing feeling. Um, but the crazy thing is at the same time, I couldn't wait to get off that stage and go ride rides in the state fair and have fun, right? Like, like as amazing as that was, like, I was like, all right, get this over, because we're going to go have fun. So, I don't know, there, there's, like, just different parts and different things where I'm just, like, I'll remember things and, and, uh, and really love those moments. And, uh, or remember, like, now that I've grown up and I have my own kids and I'm, like, putting my work and investment into them, like, really how much my grandmother put into me and my brother and uh like she was like our grandparent like she didn't even have to like just making sure we were fed was enough you know the way she saved us right but she like really made sure to invest and make sure we had something to stand on and go with and so remembering that is like really special to me also do your kids hear some of these stories and go like whoa dad that's crazy or do they just not even listen to it at all since they're like oh, i hear all these stories all the time anyway they just love them like they love the stories um but like they know they know who i am they know like they know like i'm pretty much everything about me like you know they know that their grandpa freddie's it never met them and they know why you know they know who their great-grandmother was because they knew her um, so like, they know, like a lot of the stories, they've heard them from other people, they've heard them from me, but, uh, it's really funny. Like the last story where I talked about my dad dying, my friend Harley called me up and he was like, dude, he's like, I was sitting in work, like crying over this, this story. He was like, I had to like act like I had allergies. It's like, I'm, I'm literally working, like, like wiping tears. He's like, but the funny thing is, is that I remember you being at my house. And uh, leaving to go play football, Mike, well, it was my mom and her new husband, Mike, had come to pick me up. And that football game being canceled because of the snow and then your dad dying like that weekend. And I was like, no, it was actually like a weekend or two weekends before that. But he was my best friend and I didn't tell him my dad died. Like I didn't want anyone to know because I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me. And so... He didn't find out till then because my grandmother finally called his mom and was like, will you please, and Pat, who's an, another friend of the family, but uh, I was like, will you please talk to him and like, just get a little insight if he's okay, because there's been no emotional outbreak over this at all. And so when Debbie, Harley's mom, came to talk to me and asked me how I was doing, and, and I said, well, you know, it's been hard. 
uh, and but I told her the story that my dog had died. And so when I told her that story, and she's dealing with like an 11, 12-year-old boy, right? So and she's like, wait, your dog died? Like, I thought your dad died. And I was like, oh, yeah, he died too. And and she was just, I can remember her face. Like, and she's like, all right, well, let's talk about that. And I was like, well, I knew it was going to happen at some point. And uh, I said, so, so you know, I was, I, I think I was ready for it. And uh, that's how I just emotionally took it. Like, at that point, I wasn't surprised. So I don't know if I had built the walls or whatever it was in my life that was going to already help me get through that when it came. But when it came, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that was definitely on its way, right? And like I said, like I had seen in my – I remember one time I was going to school at the Montessori school. So I was young. It was the, that first school where they would uh, try to make me write my name and I'd draw pictures instead and tell them that that was my name. <laughs> and so he showed up to pick me up from school. And I was out on the playground and he walked up and he's like, he was always so loving and awesome with us. And it was always cool. when I see him cause I didn't see him that often. And he'd be like, he was like, Tito and gave me this big hug. And he's like, I'm here to pick you up. Let's go. I'm like, all right, cool. And he's like, guess what? And I'm like, what? And he's like, I got shot today. And I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean you got shot? And he pulled up his sleeve and he had a bullet hole in his, in his arm. He had just been shot. And so we went to the hospital, like he picked me up and we went to the hospital and somebody tried to shoot him and did shoot him with a, with a 22. And it was just a flesh wound. He was fine, but he came to make sure he had said he was going to pick me up. So he came and picked me up from school. And then we went to the hospital. The bullet wasn't in there. It was like in and out. Like they, like we left there and he had a bandaid on his arm. That was it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of surreal. It's kind of crazy. So when I heard the news, I, I was I wasn't surprised. That's, but I guess I don't know if I'm like surprised with sadness or emotion or what. But in my twelve year old brain, like it was just kind of a step that I knew was going to occur probably pretty soon. Like while I was young. I'm, how many twelve year olds? Like it's just a nuts story because we hear about you hear about it, it like messing up people for life. You know what I mean? One, you got this, like, if you listen to, the, to your show, they can hear it in there, but, like, the dyslexia, like, you describe in very colorful words, like, what it's like to not be able to read like everybody else can and see everything the way everybody else can. Then you describe these stories of, like, singing on stage where it's very, like, it's impactful. You're like, man, here's the relief for this little kid who has been struggling. Like, here is his time to shine. Like, people, all eyes are on him. It's It's awesome. And then you have something like this where you've expected your dad to die. Like that's such a crazy thing that I can't wrap my head around as a 12 year old. I can't imagine what that's like. I guess that is, that's rough. You're right. Like, but that's what it was. Like I, I was pretty sure of it. And uh, I was, I was actually like when my mom left my dad, I was sad, but I knew that that was going to prolong her life. The fact that she did that. But in my head, she was going to leave him and do better. And uh, she didn't. She left him and she did a lot worse. And her world got, then she didn't have him 
to protect her anymore. And when we get into those stories in the future, like that was really rough. Um, especially when I got into my high school years and stuff like that. But um, cause now I was kind of like the man in the house and my mom was buck. Even though I wasn't in that house, I didn't live there anymore. Like I was still very connected to her. So, and like, there are things like probably some of like the machismo and, and the temper and like the willingness and ability to fight at any point and, and like the violence and stuff like that. Like it definitely existed in me. Like by the time I graduated high school and, and it kind of started like in these next stories a little bit, but like I had been in 50 street fights in those four years. Like I was like a warrior. Like you, I look at them like, dude, that's like war. Like that's crazy. And I remember sitting and counting them all on a piece of paper and feeling so satisfied at this list. And, uh, and I wasn't a knucklehead either. Like I really, really wasn't. I was a good kid and I was a nice kid, but like I was not testable. Like the minute someone tested me a little bit or I felt like they were testing me and that's the issue, right? Felt like they were testing me. Like it was on. And I thought that's exactly what I was supposed to do. So like, you know, from the first stories and some of the times in my life, my dad would be like, you hit first, you hit hard, and you don't stop until you know they're never going to come back. Like, that was necessary in his life. That was survival in the way he lived. So he was setting me up for that because he thought that's what life was. I've learned it doesn't have to be that. And, and, uh, and I'm very thankful, but it probably took me 20 some years to figure that out on my own. Right. And so, so yeah, it did affect me in a lot of different ways. Like, um, I am like, and, and so good ways, like I absolutely treasure every moment in life. Like I treasure the time that I am with people, with people I love, the things I'm doing, like I do not forget to stop and feel and smell the flowers. Like I really don't or smell the roses or whatever the term is. I don't stop. I like, I don't forget to do that. Like in my busiest moments, I'll stop and be like, this is amazing. In my hardest of moments, I'll feel that and I'll sit in it. Like when I'm with my kids and I'm watching them, I'll just stop and be like, take that in. Cause like life is fragile and we are not here for that long. And so that being said, like, you better appreciate every moment because you're not getting them back. So that, that's one way that that affected me. Like I learned very young, you can see your dad one day and then day and a half later, find out you're never going to see him again. And did you make the best out of that one day or not? And in my case, I had, and I was very happy for that. Right. But I could have been pissed. I could have been embarrassed that he showed up to my game without a shirt. I could have been all these other things that have made that moment not a good moment. But instead, I was like, he's here. That's, that's all I need. And now I have that. Like, it's a gift that I gave to myself for the rest of my life. So, I don't know. Like, that is something I've learned from it. And that's something that I would, like, just suggest to anything. Like, if you're going to change something about yourself, up the value of time and experience 
man, if you love someone, like give them your time, give them your experience. If you like something, do it. If you love something, something and someone, like bring those things together. Like it's, it's so necessary. Yeah. I mean, that sort of speaks to, I can see that in your life anyway, just from hearing like your business side working in New York and then, you know, getting fired from that advertising job or whatever, and then starting your own business. And now we go into this crazy, who knows what's going on with the quarantine. Everybody's got these different things. And you had just like, it seemed like you just started the little clothing brand deal and this happens. Bam. And what do you do? you make the best of it, man. You make these cool masks with like this insertable little filter in it. Like, I mean, you just kept rocking and rolling it. You didn't let the speed bump in the road stop your, your progress. Yeah. Like I, so I panicked a little because I have two really strong contracts and they disappeared. Like we couldn't get them on the phone. We couldn't get an email back. We couldn't get anything going. And uh, the little clothing line, it wasn't doing, it wasn't earning anything. It was just going and I was, I was building it and investing, but there's even money stuck in that from orders. And I can't get the product because that manufacturing was in China. So that it's, it might as well be pretty pictures at that point. So I can't even, I can't even hustle that product. Right. And so, um, I talked to a friend of mine, T and he's, a he's a firefighter and he's a BMX rider. And he's like, man, we're, we're, we're wearing masks to every call. Like it's real. And I'm like, what do you think, man? Like, he's like, get, get a mask. He's like, it's the new norm. Like you're not looking at two weeks of wearing a mask. This is the norm. He's like, we've, we've been briefed. We've talked to people like it, it's going to be a part of life for the rest of our lives. And I was like, well, that's a lot to swallow, but okay. Like if that's the case, Maybe I can do something with this. So I just kind of researched, started looking at things. Um, I bought masks for the family. They said they're going to be there in like three days. That went by. They weren't there four days, two weeks, months. I mean, this, we didn't get our masks that I had ordered before people even re- started to realize they needed them. Um, it took two months to get those. But I was also looking at things and uh, I thought to myself, well, I guess if if people are going to need masks, we may as well start selling masks and see if I can make a little extra money um, just to like buy groceries or whatever we need. Right. And so I started looking for fabric and all the fabric was gone. And so the only fabric I could find was stretchy fabric. So I remembered the gators and I had a few of them and I flip them on and I'm like, well, that kind of works, but how can I improve on this? Cause anybody can order gators at this point. So how do I set myself apart? And I ordered a whole bunch of gators also. Well, the gators took two months to get there. They were all on back order. But I had figured out that there's a filter that people use to slip in the masks. And I thought, man, if we do that gator style with the filter, we have the best of both worlds. And, uh, and we can customize them with graphics, do different things, and make it fashionable. Because if we're going to stuck, be stuck with these things in our faces, we may as well like, try to look good and uh and and enjoy them so uh i searched and i found a seamstress and i hired her i spent like my last few hundred bucks and we went to work and then from there i uh found a screen printer that would like they weren't open but they would screen print and allow me to pick up the boxes 
And since then, I think it's under 500 masks we've sold, which like, it's not like this big global, global like success or anything like that. But like those 500 masks kept my family eating, kept gas in the car, the things we needed um, throughout this whole thing. And so I'm really thankful that I did it because, you know, it could have been a lot rougher than it was. And so now, like, without as much panic and something, like, now we're doing cool different styles. We're doing little storage, little storage pieces because my kids, the first thing they do is lose their masks. So I'm figuring out ways so we can hold on to them. Um, and people are responding to it. So it's, it's, been, it's been really fortunate, I guess, is, is the situation because that was definitely born out of necessity. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, you do them with, like, You'll put anybody's, will you put other people's logo on it? If I understand yeah, that, right, you'll so, put other people's stuff on it too, right? Yeah, I have my own brand that we do, but then we'll white label for anyone. And we try to make it easy, like 25 or more masks will like white label their, their branding on it. Um, I don't make a huge amount of money on the white label, but I keep my seamstress working. I keep the screen printers working. And that helps me keep prices down when I put order for my own brand. And so that's been really helpful. Um, and like the seamstress is like this, this old lady and she's amazing and she kills it. Like her craftsmanship is amazing. She's fast. She has this great personality. The other day she climbed up on the back of my truck to look at something. And I was like, what the heck? Like I was like afraid that she's going to fall over. She's, she's awesome. But when this all stopped, like her work stopped. So me swooping in and doing that, like, it was awesome to be handing her 300 bucks at a time and her being like, oh, wow. It, it, so it really helped more than just me and my family. Like, it's helped, like, many families at this point, which is, which is a really cool thing. And she sewed 500 masks at least, or more. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Like, you know, I'm, and uh, I'll tell her, hey, we have an order. This is what we need. She'll say by when, and then I'll tell her, and she'll have them done. Like, she's no joke. It's really cool. Just one person? One person. That's that's it. That's the show right now. That's awesome. That's, yeah. <laughs> and she What's... said, like, if, if this grows more, that she'll manage a team. Um, but we'll have to get the machines. So I'm like, maybe it's like, maybe this is a sign. Maybe we shouldn't be manufacturing out of the country and doing this and doing that. Like, even if it's lower numbers, lower things, it takes a little longer to grow. Like why not just do it on our own? Like become self-sufficient. And, and that's, that's another thing this project has taught me. Like we can actually do a lot more than we thought we could do um, right here, like in our country or in our state or in our city. Like it just takes reaching out, figuring it out, hustling a little and then taking a risk and going for it. And that's, that's it, it's been a cool education well that's sure. one thing I, li I liked about what you said about the you were like how can i make a different you didn't immediately go to just make some masks and sell them you were like how can i make this different how can i be different from everybody else yeah and that's just like that's my marketing experience and business experience and like you know like what sets us apart how are we different in this market like um because without that, like, what am I selling, right? Like, almost 
you know, it, it's just, and then how I compete and why, why is mine special and why is it worth a few more bucks? You know, all of those different things. If I can answer those questions in my design, then I've added value. If I can't, then, I mean, it's not that hard. Like somebody else can duplicate, reproduce, or order a container of something that already exists and hasn't been taken to another level or recreated or created completely out of nowhere. And they can, uh, and then I'm, I'm competing with that. Right. So like, don't get me wrong. Like it would be great to own a Walmart, but I would, I, I get a lot more out of like specializing and improving and adding value. Yeah, the adding value part and something that can help people. Like when I saw it had the filter in there, I was like, oh, it's just a gainer, right? When I saw it. And then you did that little video explaining like this isn't just a gainer watch. And you like open up the thing, you put the filter in. And I'm like, holy cow, what a genius idea. Like, <laughs> you, you know, all that everybody was capitalizing on. I mean, you have all these creative entrepreneurial people capitalizing on the quarantine. Everybody's got a mask everybody's got like their logo on the mask. They start doing all sorts of things, but nobody that I have seen has done the gainer with the filter in it. Right. And it's the simplest thing. Like, uh, and it, and it works. It's simple. It works. It's easy. Um, I'm going to do another version of it. There's a few things I've learned, but, uh, but they're not necessary things. Like at this point, I'm just trying to make it cooler. Right. And, and, uh, but yeah, like, and now our new little masks, like they come, they come with their own little carrying case that has a carabiner so that you can just like put them on your belt loop or in your bag or, or whatever it is and keep them clean and safe. And it's like, that is such a simple idea also, but I would have never thought of it if my kids didn't lose every mask I gave them. Like literally I'm like, here's your mask. This is yours. And then we come home and then we leave somewhere else. And I'm like, do you have your mask? Because I don't know where, how it is for you guys, but in New Mexico, like if you roll to the grocery store, it is clearly posted. You have to wear a mask to come into the store. And so like now I'm like, well, I guess you guys are waiting in the car or like if they don't have their mask, right? So this way I'm like, this will be so much easier because I can hook them onto something in the car you know, whatever I need to do with it, I'll know where it is. When they're done, we put it back. They stay clean. Um, obviously, they're washable, but throughout a day or a few days, depending on how often you wash your masks. And and they look cool because the little pouch is sick. Like that hanging off a backpack or keychain, lanyard, whatever, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. Oh, man, kids, my kids lose their shoes randomly. I like I don't know. They lose everything. So that is, that is, and it's super cool that you thought of that idea to combat it here in Texas. They're like, it's optional. Um, most places are like, you want to wear a mask. Great. If you don't fine, you can still come in. We suggest it. But, right. um, but I was, the thing that I like about it is those little masks that go around your ears. Like I'll have to wear them to go into some plants cause they'll require them like, you know, for us to go in there and look at stuff. Well, those are super uncomfortable and it feels like you can't breathe. Like it, right. it makes things really challenging. And I'm like, Oh, look, there's one that's comfortable that actually wouldn't be bad to wear. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, it's funny. It's, it's so like, I gotta be honest, opinions differ, right? 
like I like my gator one because like the one that I've done, the, well, I've done more than one at this point, but because I just pull it down and I leave it around my neck and I forget it's there. Or like I can pull it up. It's like my neck gets hot or whatever. I can pull it up and throw it on like a headband and it's actually kind of cool. Like, so I can keep it on my person without, it's not laborsome, right? But a lot of females, like, pulling it over their head, dealing with their hair, different things. Like, it's a big thing on their face and neck. Like, they're, I've noticed that a lot of them were more attracted to the one that goes around the ears. And if their faces are small, so they're not pulling on their face, like, the way they pull on ours. So we actually did a ton of tests, and the one that goes in the pouch is that. It goes on the ears. Yeah. Um, but I have the option now. But it's funny, like, guys love the one that goes around your neck. They pop it on and off, like, and, and women, like, they like the little ear one. They put it in, they can put it away. They can keep it away. They can, so, but my son, he likes the ear ones. Like, he wants it to look like a ninja mask. He doesn't want it to look like something he, so, and, and he looks great in them. And they're, they look fashionable and cool on him. So when I realized, like, it really is preference, right? With many things that we wear, it's preference from, like, dad hats to flat bills to bucket hats to all these different things that exist. Um, so I thought, well, we'll just do more styles. So we have the gator style that we call the bandit mask. Um, and then we have the new ones with the pocket with the ears, and we have them to fit women and children. And then I have a guy's version that's bigger and less restricting because of the size on a bigger face. Um, so yeah, all that's grown in like the last 11 weeks to like this actual line of masks. Then one day we'll accompany the clothing. Um, I don't know. It, it's just really interesting what happens when necessity shows itself. What, what, so you've got this thriving last time we talked, like you had a bunch of good things going with your advertising business too. Um, like you had a bunch of things like on the horizon, things were looking up, like you were crushing it. What has all this done to that business? Because I don't know if there's maybe more ads, less ads. I mean, some of your stuff was on NASCAR things and they just kind of gave up. So I don't know. No, like, so uh, we have a few contracts, and one of our contracts, which is with the city of Albuquerque, uh, has started up again. So that, that's looking up, which is great. Um, we have another one with the college uh, and uh, New Mexico Tech, and they're still uh, not as active. Um, but we're at least in conversation again. And so I'm like, all right, things are going to, I don't know if things will ever be exactly the same, but things are coming back. Things are happening. Things are starting to move again. And so I feel really good about that. Um, and so, you know, we're moving aggressively again. We're meeting with clients We're it's different. You know, we all actually, it's not too different. We actually always were on zoom meetings and and WebEx meetings and because our clients are mostly out of the state or out of the country, but, um, but uh, it's still a little different because now like instead of us meeting with their clients and they're in one big boardroom and I'm at my desk, I'm meeting with my clients and everybody's at their house. Right. And you see things loosening up. Like you see people just kind of showing up the way they are and like just getting the work done 
And I'm like, wow, like the, the world is definitely changing in those ways. Um, and I'm sure there's like, I know there's a lot more change and a lot more psychological change and people are getting used to a lot of different things. But uh, I, I believe that either way we'll be back. It'll just be a little different. Do you think that like hearing these stories on your podcast and like learning more about like the way you grew up, do you think that helped your creative, creative mind, like figuring things out, um, different ways to do things, finding ways out of situations like this situation hits and some people freak out. And this is kind of what my theory is, is like those people that freak out and like went to the store and bought 70 cases of toilet paper because they thought they'd never see some again. Like, they just never have had any sort of struggle in their life. Like they freak out right. at the first sign of, of an, a situation, but you've lived with it and through it. And so did that help out? Like you just kind of roll with it and make the transition into this. Yeah. I mean, so the way it happened for me was like, I had heard like, Oh, everybody's buying up all toilet paper, blah, blah. I was like, all right, well I have four rolls. So I should be okay. Like that's really what I thought to myself. And then, uh, and then uh, that Friday came and I went and I picked up my youngest and uh, I was like, you're going to go to the store with me. She hates going to the store with me. So I'm making her go to the store with me. She's just like rolling her eyes and like, we're going to the store. And so we get to the store and we walk in and there's nothing on the shelves, not just no toilet paper, but there is no food. And like, like, empty shelves i actually have pictures of it and i'm just like what the heck is going on and there's no meat there's no like there's no rice there's no beans there's no veggies like food is gone all there is is like some really bad junk food options and even like from the frozen pizzas and all that so that's gone too, right so uh we start going from store to store to store and it's like one after another like i'm finding one or two things i can piece together for something and after about like four hours, four or five hours of just going from store to store to store, I finally had enough where I'm like, all right, I keep, this will get us through the weekend and then things should be better, right? But I will admit like that feeling of like, it didn't matter if I had money in my bank account. It didn't like, there was just nothing to buy was terrifying. And then especially that I had her with me and she's experiencing this with me, like it was really scary and uh at that point like i was just like all right like we're on a meal plan we're going to figure this out we're going to figure that out and like little by little by little and we went through those first like two weeks like just rationing every bit of food and trying to build it up and build it up and then things got a little better and then a little better and uh you know obviously now things are a lot more comfortable except for like last week we went to the store and there was no meat all of a sudden and I was like what's going on I thought we were past this and they're like there's a shortage on meat right now and I'm just like this makes no sense like why is there a shortage on meat you know or whatever but but uh but no it was scary I was scared I mean I, I was scared I was like I didn't know what things were going to look like um I mean I I spent time at Cabela's like trying to buy a gun I'd never had a gun in my house ever and uh and a friend of mine was like dude people are gonna storm homes like you need to have a gun and i'm like i i don't like having guns like i know how to shoot a gun like i grew up with guns my grandfather like we went hunting 
we'd go target practicing. We were like, that was a part, I, I, I just don't like them around. And uh, so I went to Cabela's and like, finally I filled out my information to get one. And I was never disapproved, but I was pending until the day they closed and I couldn't buy one. So like, it definitely changed some things in my life for sure. And I was just like, all right, this has got to change and that's going to change. Oh man, having a gun in your, like, I mean, I'm not for violence or anything, but having something there for protection. I, I think a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people have changed their mind on gun control in this situation with all the things that have happened back to back to back, you know? And you're like, yeah, wow. I need to be able to protect, like, protect my family what it's a it's a helpless feeling to know that somebody has something over you right yeah yeah so i mean i i got cameras set up like i uh i like put together a whole plan i got the kids whistles i'm like you see someone in the house you start blowing that whistle like i told my son like it's your job to get to your sister's and then you guys go out the window, there's a porch in the back, and you're gone. Like, you don't come downstairs. You don't check on me. You blow those whistles till you're out of the house. But, like, that's it. That's the warning I get to handle this situation. And, uh, like, so we put together a plan. Like, there's all this stuff. But, yeah, like, just thinking about that, like, I've worked very hard to live where I live. I live in a gated community far from the city, like, and it's, it's still safe. But it's, like, this would be a great place to come loop. <laughs> yeah, and then like, how thankful are you that you study like the the martial arts stuff, the jujitsu, and all that stuff at this time too? Like, it's even that much more important maybe for people to go start learning those things for protection themselves. It is. It's huge. Like, I don't think I saw, but uh, no, it is huge. Like, self defense, one hundred percent. Jujitsu makes you a better person. Like, <laughs> I'll be the first one to say it. Like. Jiu-Jitsu makes you a better person. Training with people, sweating with people, going through that struggle on, you know, a weekly basis, a daily basis, whatever you do, like, you begin to really grasp being friendly and being open and inviting and, and secure, right? And I think it all comes from building that security. Um, some of the most dangerous, like best fighters that I know are the nicest people in the world because they're so secure. Like they're not going to front and have something to, they're going to act like they're tough. There's no reason to do that. So, so yeah, I, I feel blessed that, about those things. Um, but I don't know, like I made a rule a long time ago in my life. Like as far as the house is concerned, you protect what's inside of it. So, like, I'm not the one to run outside if someone's breaking in my car. Like, I'm not the one to run outside if someone's in my backyard. Like, nope. Like, you just lock those doors. You protect what's inside the home. And if they come in and you need to figure out a way out, then that's one thing. But, like, I don't know. Like, I don't have any of the machismo in me of, like, oh, I got to go approach this. Nah, I'm good. Like, I just need, I just need to live another day. That's what I need to do. <laughs> Yeah, that, well, that's, and that's a smart way to do it. I mean, it really is like, it's, ins I mean, I can't fault people that want to go out and protect their property, but at the same time, like that instinct of protecting what's inside the house, I think everybody kind of has that. Like you'll see people even for like looting and, you know, breaking into people's business and burning it down. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you can't take my stuff. No, you can't do that. 
I'm going to scare you off. You know what I mean? Like they put up a fight for that sort of thing. So it's just human instinct to fight what's for what's yours. Yeah. Well, and you work hard for things and you feel like those things are important, but like, I guess like, I like, I get it and I get how fragile life is and I get how short this is. And I'm like, all right. So if somebody took my truck, took my son's truck, uh, messed up some things, whatever they did, but everybody was safe. I'm good. Like, yeah, I might not be able to go buy another truck tomorrow, but I'll figure something out. And at some point I'll replace those things and we'll be okay. You know? So like, really like, I'm, I'm now on the flip side of that. Like if I feel like my family, someone I love or even like, or myself is in danger, like, it's going to be a rough day for whoever is in between me and their safety. Right? 100%. Like, that line is very clear. But it would take that to get me there. Like, if not, like, we're good. Man, it seems like your whole life, like, listen to this podcast and hearing all the stories and things, your whole life has been just, like, one of those things where you've recovered from something and overcome something or, like just made it through a situation or had to protect yourself or whatever. Like that seems like the story since you were a little kid, since that first memory. It really has been like, I've, I've, like I, I have a, a little thing that like, I've never had a break. Like I never, I can't point out a time in my life and be like, boom, I had a break and that's when I made it. Or boom, I had that break and that's when it really went well for me. And since then I've killed it or, like everything in my life has been like this. It's just, it's been a grind, you know, I'm still waiting for my break, I should say. And, uh, and it's been a grind. And so, so yeah. And the grind is like overcome, get stronger, figure it out, get smarter, get stronger, get, uh, you know, don't get as tired as easy or get more organized or get, just get better. Right. Like, my New Year's resolution every year is just get better at what? At everything. Like, improve, improve, improve. Um, but, but yeah, like, there's definitely some metaphors in my life that are, like, something that happened that I had to overcome that I can look back at and be like, all right, if you can overcome that, you can figure this out. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I mean, not many people can say they've had the same sort of deals as you. So, what if somebody's going to go listen to your podcast and go like, you're going to keep, I guess I should go this way. You're going to keep, you got season two coming up, right? Yeah. So what, what kind of stories are we going to get into? What sort of preview can you give everybody for like season number two that you have? So, so uh, this season ended on a really difficult time. And that time was, you know, I call it my first football game, but my first football game was the first sporting event my dad ever showed up at. And I had seen him a few days before at my grandmother's restaurant. And when my grandmother was, well, I guess we walked in the restaurant. I didn't recognize him. Um, and so I walked to my grandmother to talk to her. And she said, Tito, aren't you going to say hi to your dad? And I looked over and he was, I remember he was in a button-down shirt, white button-down shirt, hair was cut trim, big red mustache as always, um, 
clean, uh, wasn't drinking, wasn't high, um, and he had his shirt had uh, the little pearl inset buttons on it, like the Western style. And uh, and I looked over at him and I was like, oh, what? and it like kind of took me by surprise. And I said, hey, Dad, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I came to talk to your grandmother. Uh, I'm getting clean, and she's going to help me. And so I remember looking at her and her telling me it's true. Um, we're going to put it, he's going to go to a rehab and I'm going to pay for it and we're going to help him. And I was like, man, that's great. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be good, blah, blah. And I remember telling him, you should come to my game tomorrow. And as I was saying it to him, I remember thinking to myself, there's no way he's showing up at my game. So I'm like, you should come to my game tomorrow. And he said, I'll be there. He said, I have to go to Albuquerque today. I'll be there until tomorrow, but then I'll come and I'll be back on time for your game. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, him going to Albuquerque, that's going to be like three weeks of being high and everything else that they're going to write. Like, as soon as he gets around the homies, it's going to be rough. So I'm like, all right, great. Give him a hug. I didn't like let him know that I was thinking those things. And then my grandfather like came out from the back of the restaurant. He asked if we were ready. My brother was there. He hugged my brother. And we jumped it back in the truck with my grandfather and went and did our weekend stuff with my grandfather. And uh, then the next day was my game and I was warming up with the team and it was hot outside at that point. And I look over and my dad's walking towards me, but he doesn't have a shirt on. And I'm like, I wonder why he doesn't have a shirt on. And this kid says, who's that? And before I can answer, he says, why doesn't he have a shirt on? <laughs> so he was like in jeans cowboy boots no shirt like it's not like he was like in running shorts or you know I'm like and he's like do you know him because he's walking right towards me I'm like yeah that's my dad and he walks up and gives me a hug and every time he would hug me the first thing I would do is smell and I could smell if he had been drinking or not and uh and I remember very clearly like my dad hugging me and like his face being unshaven and it'd be prickly and I could smell cigarettes and booze and I would know, like, ugh, and I kind of pull away. And uh, so, anyways, when he hugged me, I, he hadn't been drinking, and uh, and he said, "Hey, are you ready for your game?" This and that, and he was excited. And I'm like, "Why don't you have your shirt on? Like, why don't you? Have, what happened to your shirt?" And he's like, "Don't worry about that. Get ready for your game. I'm here. Like, that's that." And I was like, "All right, cool." So the game starts and we're playing and like I was playing linebacker and I love that position. Like I was nailing kids and I loved doing it. And it was like, I was just, I would just hunt them down. Like I felt like a tiger, like stalking his prey. Like it was so great. And uh, I remember like looking over to the sideline and like my grandparents were there and my brother was there, but they're all sitting in the, in the bleachers. But he was on the sideline, like, like with us, and he would move up and down the field with us as we played. And he was just, like, in the game with us. And uh, we're going play after play after play. And then halftime, I remember I'm drinking my drink, and he, like, comes up and he talks to me and, like, tells me how amazing I was doing. And we were losing. We go back out there, and, like, again, we end up losing the game. And uh, he just was so proud and, like, gives me this huge hug. And he's just like, oh, you killed it. Like, good job. And uh, he goes on his way. 
we go on ours. And the crazy thing was, in New Mexico, it can be hot. Like in the fall or spring, it can be hot during the day. But nights can get freezing, especially Santa Fe. And it was cold. Like people were in full jackets and stuff. And he was still there without a shirt. And nobody offered a jacket. Nobody offered a blanket. Like people were sitting on blankets and didn't offer it, right? He didn't care. He didn't leave. He didn't complain. Like, he, you know, at the end he left. But my grandfather took us home, uh, went to bed. And then, like, that a few days later was the weekend because that game was in the middle of the week. And we went uh, fishing and to do a few other things while my mom and my grandmother were cleaning the house. And when we came back, my uh, mom and grandmother were gone. And, like, the broom was thrown on the floor, I remember. And, like, the mop was in the bucket, but it was over to the side. And there was a few rags and some spray bottles left. And I thought to myself, that's weird because my grandmother was, like, a meat freak. Like, there was not a speck of dust in that house. Like, I don't know how she did it. She ran two restaurants, took care of the family, and kept a gigantic home spotless with boys in it. Like, she was amazing because I can't even get close. So anyway, yeah, I'm trying so hard. And I'm, I, what's wrong with me? So anyways, uh, me and my brother start playing Super Mario Brothers. And I'm playing, he's playing, we're going back and forth. We're competitive, trying to kill the dragon. And uh, my grandmother walks in the house and goes straight to her bedroom. And um, my grandfather follows her. And then my grandfather says, Chacho, come here. And so I went back there, and they had me sit on the bed. And I'm like, what's up? And I noticed my mom wasn't there, so I kind of thought maybe something had happened with my mom. And they said, Freddie's dead. He died today. And I was, like, trying to put together who Freddie was real quick because, like, it didn't quite register. And then my grandmother looked at me and said, your dad died today, Chacho. And I was just like, Okay. And then they said he died of a drug overdose. Um, and they waited. And I said, okay. And then I got up and I walked out of the room. And when I got back to where my brother was, I grabbed the controller and I kept on playing Super Mario Brothers. And as I was playing, I told him, hey, they're caught. They, want, they need to talk to you. And so he got up and he left. And so I played. And then he walked back in and sat down next to me and said, so, so dad's dead? And I said, yeah. And we just played. We just kept playing. And later on that day, my mom showed back up, wasted, and uh, in total guilt and everything that she was dealing with, and uh, was pretty much never sober again in her life. But uh, it was it was a trip. Like, I look back now, and I'm like, God, I, I don't understand how I wasn't emotionally crushed or even affected. Like my silence wasn't even like, I didn't know how to express it. Like I was so ready for this occurrence that I, I, I may have mourned it before it even happened. I don't know. So what stories do you tell from there? I mean, that's the way it ends. Oh, so I'm sorry. So, that's so what, that, oh, no, yeah. that's okay. like, that was a, that's awesome. I like, hearing it i'm like oh geez Louise, I, like this is crazy the way you dealt with it but then where do you like what kind of stories are you going to tell in season number two so season two you know i'm going into middle school at that point um 
And I know I had told the story where my voice started to change and they said that I was going to have to take a break. Um, but I still had a schedule. So what they were talking about, and I thought like, oh, I'm good. Like I get to rest now. No, that wasn't true. It was rest after this schedule of like dates, performances, things are hit. So I still end up singing like up into high school um, and performing and doing all those things. So there's a lot of that. Um, there's, uh, I got to perform for Jacqueline Onassis, by the way, which was huge. Private show, like just her and her people there. And, uh, and that was amazing. Um, I, it's amazing now. I didn't know who it was. I thought I was just singing this to some lady. But, but, uh, but that, um, I got to meet Reverend, Reverend Jesse Jackson during his campaign. He came to New Mexico to meet with my grandfather. And uh, I was sitting outside riding my bike in the back of the restaurant where I met Harley. And they parked back there, his caravan. And as they were walking in there, they didn't clear me. I was just, they let me sit there. And he stopped and talked to me for a little while. So I think there's a lot of cool little things here and there. Uh, me and Harley had some great adventures. Um, I kind of made the transition from like allowing people to bully me to like really being fed up with that. So that, that stuff started to occur and I changed a lot in those ways. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, just life, life in general. Uh, and, um, yeah, how old are you now? Like today, 43. You're 43. So right now you ended the, the your last podcast. How old were you? Uh, 12. <laughs> so you have, you have so much more to tell people of this and I can't wait to like, I want, it's going to be cool to see the progression through this thing of from there to to your successes like when you get older in life and like the successes and then get taken down a peg again and then more successes right you know it is it's interesting it's, it's really cool um i mean it, it's just like there was a time in my life when i was my first job was the, the, the shoe design job and i remember like it was the first time i was traveling for work and so i'd be going out of the country or i'd be going to another city or whatever I was doing. And my mom, she was, my mom was the same. She hadn't changed at all. Right. But before I'd go on a trip, usually as I was driving from Santa Fe to Albuquerque to go to the airport, even if it was four in the morning, I'd call her and tell her that I was going on a trip and let her know that I would be gone and that I was going to come back. And that was just something I did, you know? And so I think about that and like, and I, I just think of like, man, we had come so far, right? At that point, like, like it, I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting, like, how things progress and change and how life goes. I, I just feel like I've been really lucky. Um, but yeah, no, there's great stories left to tell. And there's, there's more friends to introduce. And there's uh, more conflict to deal with. And there's more great times and there's, you know, many successes and, and, you know, there's first like real crushes besides like Anissa in, in elementary school. And there's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's been cool. It's been a good, good life, you know? So I started this whole thing because like 
well, I told you why I started it, but the idea of it came about my dyslexic life because I wanted to talk about being dyslexic, the challenges, and how to approach those things or how I approach those things and how to advocate for yourself or for your children or for your students and to help them get through those things. And so, but I didn't want to sit there and just talk about the classroom. Like, I wanted to talk about my entire life because I feel like that's a lot more interesting. And uh, I wanted people to see how, like, being shamed in a classroom can change you in life or being embarrassed can change your confidence in general or, you know, or how those things can get um, separated or, uh, yeah, I guess separated and you can be, feel so strong in one situation and so belittled in another. And like, because really after these stories are done is what I'd like to do is find a professional that can go through that and be like, this is why you got in 50 street fights in four years when you were in high school. Like, maybe if you this, then these kind of things won't happen, right? Or, like, uh, you know, being called lazy all the time and dealing with that. That was something I dealt with as a kid. Like, my mom, my dad, not my dad, never my dad, but my mom's, my, my uncle, my, my grandfather, like, not my grandmother, though, but, like, teachers like oh he's just being lazy oh he's just lazy oh he's lazy he's never going to do anything he's just going to be lazy he's going to be lazy and spoiled lazy and spoiled like that was rough to grow up with especially when I knew I was trying so hard and so like just taking that out of the vocabulary when you're in a meeting with a dyslexic student and be like no just the fact that they're still here they're trying and and you know kind of bring those things up so like there is a very particular purpose for these stories. But what I found is that it's so broad that it's helping people that have no issues with reading, writing, or any type of learning disability, or everybody's getting something out of this that's a little different. And so I wanted to end the season on this type of interview and conversation because I'm like, people are asking questions. They want me to, you know, go further into stories or different things. And I'm like, let's try to answer some of those, talk to and address some of those things. I love any feedback, like any questions, any things like that's not, it's not that it's a problem for me. It actually helps me. Um, and that's what gave me the idea. Like let's end this with an interview that we can like talk about the whys and the hows and the who, and really who was that person and you know, those kind of things. So, but it's, it's really fulfilling. I'm, I'm really happy that I started to create this content. Well, the coolest thing about it is, is that you can go back the way you're doing it, like the way you're doing this, you could actually go back and you have these files forever where you could actually even write a book. It's like an audio book anyway, and you can kind of go and reference those notes and then just tie everything together if you want. Like you have everything down. It's kind of like all you need is a ghostwriter now. Yeah, no, right? It's a, a book written by a dyslexic person. <laughs> awesome man <laughs> right and, and no I, I I mean I would love to and I would it would be the most beautifully designed book you've ever seen like I really would love to do that and, and but make it like a creation like an experience in itself um 
But, you know, I feel like first things first, I'm going to get through the stories. And I think people will show themselves. Like, you're right. I can't write that book on my own. Like, there's no way. It would never happen. And it would never be depicted the way it needs to be. So, you know, somebody coming and being and teaming up with me to do that, that would be amazing. And then getting, you know, doing that and then getting the professional opinions and putting them in there as notes and then laying that out in a way that people can really just look at this and be like, wow, here is real insight. Um, that could change lives, right? I think that that could be something that could really be impactful. So absolutely, I think that's something that should be, you know, in in the making like my goal for 2020 is to create as much content as i can so i'm i'm painting on social issues that are occurring uh and and just covid in general um i'm doing these stories i'm working on a movie script um obviously the clothing the design stuff those kind of things like i want to finish this year with maybe as much of a body of work that has taken my entire life to create and do that in one year. And then from there, take that and refine and create and get to the point where like we get somewhere where things are really strong and understood. Um, but I feel like I have a lot to give and not a lot of time to do it in. And so I've really like had my nose to the grindstone this year. And that's one reason like COVID was just an isolate and create situation for me. Like, once I figured out how to make some money, enough money to survive through it, then this hasn't been a terrible thing for me. Like I have literally, my friend Jeff Overly, he's a sculptor, and he said, isolate and create, man. That's what we do, isolate and create. Like isolation is not a bad thing for a creative mind. And so I've kind of taken advantage of that and kind of put it out into my own life. And this podcast is part of that. So uh, and yeah, I hope it matures into a book. That would be amazing. It would be, man. Well, this has been awesome. Let them know where they can find your podcast, uh, what's going on, and when season two will start up. So I think it's pretty much everywhere. I personally listen to it on Spotify, um, but we use a very awesome tool. What is the name of the tool again? So Anchor. Anchor. And Anchor distributes that to, to many other uh, podcast venues. Um, so love that. And thank you for teaching me how to make podcasts. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I release one a week. You know, also Chacho Soul on Instagram. I advertise them there. Um, I'm going to get better at that. I'm going to improve some things. Um, I'm going to improve my advertising of them. I'm going to give ideas of what's to come. Uh, instead of kind of just popping them up every time I do them. Uh, so just always trying to improve, right? That's the motto. Um, if you get a chance, man, listen to them. Start with story one and then and then work your way up. And I promise I'll keep making them. Uh, so if you get hooked, I'm not going to leave you hanging. <laughs> Especially yeah, right now, please, it's up to us. Like this is one thing I want people to think about. It's up to us as individuals now to create content because things are going to slow down and it's going to be different. And, you know, as far as movies are concerned, TV shows are concerned, those kind of things, like they're still figuring out how to do that. But us as creators of content, we can continue to educate, entertain, um, help people get their minds off things, you know, change a day, brighten a day, uh, 
you know, anything by making content on our own and posting it. So don't like, if you're ever going to do it, now's the time. And if you hadn't thought about it, start thinking about it. Like we want to hear people's ideas, people's thoughts, people's opinions. Like this is what it's all about. And there's no better time than now to start doing that. If you haven't been doing it or if you stopped for a while, or maybe you just need to double up and do more. Um, content creators are, are what is really going to get us to a lot of what we're going to at this point in our life. So please do it like we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. I love all of it. Chacho, it's always awesome, man, to have you on. We got to do this again, uh, maybe after season two or whenever. Anything else that's coming up, man, we got to do it again. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think after season two, let's get it. And uh, Or anytime you feel like asking some questions about something you heard me say or anything, man. I love it. So I appreciate it. Okay, you got it, man. Well, thanks again for doing this. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you to Chacho for being on for a second time. Head over and listen to his podcast, My Dyslexic Life. You won't regret it. And until the next episode, see ya.